Howdy, y'all, and welcome to a special edition of the Cyber Ranch podcast. This show was recorded live at CISO XC just a couple of weeks ago in Dallas-Fort Worth. Fantastic conversation I had with Cecil Pineda. I think you all know him, Cecil the CISO uh, of popular in DFW, popular on LinkedIn, well-known CISO, and also Gene Moore from Security, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I. And we were talking about a lot of issues around data protection and challenges and ways to overcome them. So without further ado, welcome to a live special edition of the Cyber Ranch podcast. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford president and CISO at Allen Alford Consulting. Without further ado, uh, let's dive into our topic. So the topic today is the cloud and the big bang of data. And I guess question number one I got for Eugene is um, data, especially sensitive personal data, right? It's the most lucrative target in, the sec- in a security breach. At the bottom line, that's the target. That's what they're after is the data. And in security, we always say you can't protect what you don't know. Um, this is why CSF, CISV8, everybody starts with identify. Um, so tell me about the importance of identifying sensitive data and the real world challenges we face in doing so. Yeah, I mean, think of, you know, most of us in this room have been in the IT security space for for eons, right? And I'm, I'm talking with you guys as fellow IT, you know, folks. I'm not, you know, coming to you as the, as the vendor side. In fact, what's funny is I work for security um, who we don't really specialize in the security of the data. It's more about what kind of data you have. And that's one of the biggest, I guess, problems is as security professionals that say the business is go protect the data. And then you turn around and say, well, what do you want me to do with it? And what data do you want me to protect? Do you want me to encrypt it? Do you want me to tokenize it? Do you want me to identify it? And someone above us always says, well, yeah, of course. And you're like, but you didn't answer the question right? What do you want me? What data do you want me? Well, I don't know. You figure it out. It's like, you have any idea? It's like going to grandma's house and helping her move. It's like, well, it's all there somewhere. And it's like, that's, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges is figuring out, well, yeah, all the data is important to somebody. The question is, well, who is that somebody inside the organization? And every, every team, every department comes at it slightly different, right? Um, you may expand on that a little further. Or? No, I think, I think that's a good answer. Um, so we talk about protecting sensitive data, and, and I want to know what kind of insights do we need about the data, right? So, so okay, fine. We, we agree that we're not just going to say grandma's moving everything and let's go find it all and grab it all. There's priority. There's, there's order to it. Uh, there's metadata that has to be gathered, right? Um, and there's also location sometimes is, an, is, a, is a determining factor in terms of what's sensitive data and what's not. So... Metadata, location, how do we actually start to hone in and determine what is sensitive data? Yeah, kind of a, a follow-up on that, uh, that first question, the first topic, right? You know, again, think of it from your own seat and how you look at your day-to-day uh, life in your, uh, in your job, right? It's a, hey, I found data, um, and maybe it's customer data. Maybe it's payroll data. If it's in... If that data is located where it's supposed to be, or at least where you think it's supposed to be, it's probably okay to be there, right? If payroll data is sitting in the finance department, well, that's supposed to be there, right? We obviously have to pay, you know, pay me and pay everyone else. 
But what if you see that same data outside of that realm? Well, common sense tells you that, well, wait, why is payroll data sitting outside of finance or outside the payroll department? You now have other departments say, oh, well, we were running a, uh, a, camp, a marketing campaign, right? Because we're running this new benefits thing for all of the people that, that are employed here. Isn't that a great thing? And the marketing people are like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to help out. As an IT professional, we're like, okay, that makes sense, but do you need my, my paid check? Do you need the amount of money I'm getting paid in order to market to me, right? Marketing people don't really, they just give me everything that you possibly have access to. And that's where having some of these safeguards in identifying, hey, yes, it is valuable data, but it's in either the wrong hands or the wrong location, usually you know unintentionally it's just you know as i'm gathering all this other as i'm gathering grandma's you know dishes it happens to be you know she had an earring placed in there and that earring's worth a lot of money and it was just in the wrong place at the wrong time all right so cecil the CISO has joined us uh, i'm late sorry as always late late to his own podcast you gotta love that um so the million dollar question cecil is we're talking about sensitive data and we're talking about how do we identify it you heard gene's answer we're, we're curious about metadata we're curious about location like honing in on what is the most sensitive data why is it the most sensitive data and all that good stuff uh yeah man it's a very good subject uh, i happen to work for a company that um i would say everyone in this room i probably have your phi <laughs> and unfortunately uh, uh it's very difficult to protect them because number one they're all over the place second I don't really know the data behind the data. You know, we, you know, even if I can find a piece of data in my environment, is who uses this application? You know, uh, what you know, um, we serve eleven thousand uh, healthcare organizations. So out of that eleven thousand, whose whose customer is actually uh, we use that data for? So there's a lot of challenges in our organization because. We have so much sensitive data. At the same time, there's very little data behind the data that we have. So I have to go out there, develop a, what do you call that? Data catalog. Mm -hmm. I love the word. Have you heard about the data catalog? It's similar to an asset inventory, but it's a little bit more focusing on the data, who uses them, the data owners, applications that utilize those data. So there's a lot of things behind the data that we don't know. It's not enough to know where your data is. You gotta find out what's behind it. What are the, what's the metadata be, uh, on those data? I like it, I like it. All right, so we talked about the diversity of data locale. We talked about the diversity of data type. We talked about the diversity of data usage. Now let's talk about who cares about the sensitive data, right? We've got us, we've got InfoSec, we've got the CISOs, but we've also got privacy. Uh, we've got governance, we've got compliance. Um, how do we get every one of these teams who's got a stake in the sensitivity of the data, working together in harmony, thinking about the data the same way. Gene, I'll start with you. Yeah, it, um, again, it's very similar. You know, it's like every, every question is absolutely tied to the next one, right? It, it goes back to, well, everyone is looking at the same data, but everyone's looking at it through different eyes. You know, back to the marketing example we had a while ago, the marketing team's like, well, yeah, I, I want to market to these people. We're running, uh, you know, this campaign or this, uh, you know, this it's good for the employees. Cecil, on the other hand, is like, wait a minute, the data that we gathered wasn't meant 
for this purpose. And my, you know, my auditor is going to come and slap my hand if I give this data to my marketing people without consent. Well, who's supposed to keep track of all of this stuff, right? Is Cecil supposed to know this in the top of his head? Or are you guys, you know, in the audience as IT security professionals supposed to keep track of all the regulations? It says, well, the data is here. We already have it. And, and I just need to hand it to you. It's, and, and you look at it on the surface, it's like, well, it's just a name and address. What's the big deal? It's, a, it's an email address. And then you have some auditor somewhere that really knows the, you know, the ins and outs of every law. And it's like, whoa, 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 you just broke 900 laws. Like, I didn't do anything. I was just doing my job, right? And that's where having, you know, some of these tool sets, this data catalog, you know, that Cecil was, was talking about. It's like, no, it's, yes, the, the logistics of it, the, it's very easy to just hand someone a list of names and addresses. That, I, I look it up every day. It's easy. It's right here. But not understanding the reasons and the whys and the regulations behind it can really get you in, in trouble and not even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. So Cecil, how do we bring these teams together? How do we get well, them holistically approaching the problem? Uh, I'm very fortunate to work for a very large organization. So, so I don't have to worry about uh, some of those aspects of data privacy and data governance. Uh, we have leaders uh, in charge of that. Uh, however, those controls rest on my team. So there's a lot of work. So, but the reality is, I want to, I was coming from a CISO talk before this, and it's really part of that, you know, uh, that partnership that you do inside companies. Unfortunately, some of you guys are working in a smaller organization where the CISO or the director of security also owns data privacy and data governance. So in my, on my end, I don't have to do that. But I think the key is partnership. Um, I work as probably my first call if I have a um, maybe a, a feel that something's going on. My first call is always uh, the data privacy officer because I know our crown jewels are PHI and my second call is probably our chief legal officer. And I think that partnership is really what makes it really uh, successful. We work together. Uh, when, we have, when we make changes to our data governance or data protection policy or program, we work together. We don't work in silos. I think that really helps us uh, execute well because uh, we're our roles and responsibilities are, are properly defined across the organization. I, I like that. The bigger organizations definitely delineate the roles better. I think you know I've done a I've done a, a number of mid market stints as a CISO where I worked with general counsel and 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 the privacy officer who oftentimes is general counselor in, in those scenarios. But I used to always tell him. You tell me what, I'll tell you how, right? Like that was always the relationship to me was you, you, you tell me what the rules are and I'll tell you how we're going to get there and achieve those rules. And you, you tell me which data we need to protect. I'll tell you how to protect it and what we're going to do. Um, let's pivot. Let's switch gears completely. Um, those who know the show, follow the show. Uh, those who follow my posts on LinkedIn know that uh, I rarely am a negative person. I don't often bash things in this industry. Uh, but I have one negative thing I always do and always say, and I'm going to say it right here live in front of this audience, DLP sucks. <laughs> All right? Let's just get that on the table. DLP sucks. It is glorified Perl scripts in a box. I hate DLP. So let's talk about the new wave, right? DSPM is now a Gartner category. There's a hype cycle, and you know, we all know how this works with the hype cycles and the quadrants and all this other stuff. And oftentimes you'll hear a brand new buzz phrase that replaces the old buzz phrase and there's a lot of hype and a lot of BS to it. But DSPM to me is very real. 
And it's a way of analyzing data and data loss and data loss prevention that talks to the whole life cycle of the data. And I thought we could ask a little bit about that. So I'll start with Cecil here. DSPM, is it real? Is it a real phrase? Is it uh, hype? Where are we at with that one? Well, uh, let me start first with your DLP. Um, you know, uh, again, um, yeah, it's a really good buzzword that we've been, that's been around for more than a decade now. Yeah. Um, I still use it because I have to. Um, it checks the box. Uh, it addresses some of its most important uh, requirements to protect data from leaving the organization. But at the same time, uh, many of you may have gone through implementation and it's not very easy. It's, you know, it takes so much work, so much configuration. Out of the box, uh, we'll probably uh, get maybe, uh, is Listy around here? Uh, uh, Listy was my first uh, DLP person 11 years ago. And she complained to me until today. I saw her today. She still complains about DLP from 11 years ago. That was... DLP sucks. Yeah, DLP sucks because it's too much work. But, you know, it takes... Now, again, uh, going to DSPM, I think, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of value there. Uh, You just... it, It goes beyond what... I think it extends what the DLP was not able to do. And a lot of our organizations, uh, mine included, are looking into various technologies in that space. And uh, I, I believe that, I, I know Alan will not, will not agree with me, but I think in combination with the DLP, I think it's really going to be better for organization. But I'll let Gene, who's an expert in this area, talk yeah, more and, about and, and before you speak to it, Gene, one thing that I don't think Cecil touched on is DSPM, to me, is a little more engaged with the data life cycle yeah. than DLP. DLP yeah. is just regular expression yeah. strings. Is the thing going out the door? Let's, yeah. let's catch it as it goes out the door. DSPM speaks to a little bit more of the life of, yeah. of the data, too, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Cecil, I hope that as your organization is looking for some tools, you're going to give me a call. That's part uh, of what this is all he, about. He's lying. I already call him. He's already doing some POC with us. No, but um, but yeah, the the, uh, the DLP sucks. It, it stabs me in the heart, Alan, because um, again, for many, many years, I, I worked in that industry. But at the same time, I understand, like many of you guys, it, the shortcomings of, you know, it's the tool, right? But if you take the, what the intent was, and it's like, and if we can make that a little bit smarter, um, a little bit better, then you now have, you know, and again, that's why we don't call it DLP. We don't, in fact, our, our product uses no DLP, yeah. um, but it, Amen. there is a lot of data and a lot of data discovery and a lot of data intelligence, right? So think of how we, organized data as humans, right? Even the, the, you know, your child at home has a very easy concept and simple concept dumping their toys out. And they understand this toy belongs from the Disney collection. And this toy belongs from the Marvel collection. And they didn't have to do a deep level analysis to do that. Right. You know, grow up the, uh, the data analysis a little bit, you know, take your purse, take your wallet, take all your medical records, dump them out on the table and you can very quickly identify, hey, this is my Texas driver's license. There is no social security number that's going to be on the driver's license number. If I see a random nine-digit number that matches my regular expression pattern, DLP says, oh, hey, I see it. It's right there. The logic in us says, wait, there, it's impossible, right? Because that information doesn't exist 
on the driver's license. Take that and now feed it into a tool set and and put some you know AI and and other logic and just says, hey, you know, what is the confidence rating of this being a actual social security number or so, a driver's license number or a credit card number? And then take that and look at it from the tool sets that you have. You know, if you deal in serial numbers, part numbers, catalog numbers, things that aren't necessarily PI in you know where you and I come from and think about that, but what if Someone in the business wants to track these part numbers, these serial numbers. I can now start putting other intelligence around. Say, oh, well, this is my my application full of part numbers. I now need to, to um, organize this between my you know drill bit part numbers and my wind farm part numbers. And they're all kind of inter intermingled together. And that's where a tool like ours can not only do that for part numbers and serial numbers, but can also do that between other nine digit numbers hey this is a you know looks like a, a credit card number a social security number because the the contextual information around it also leads me to believe that right i see names addresses phone numbers the column header says ssn i see patient information that likelihood of that being a social security number is much much higher than if it was just a random nine digit number in a pile of, of other things right and dlp you know back to and i don't want to keep hammering on this will be my last this will be my last dlp rant and then we'll get on uh, get on with the rest of the show but i just remember back in the day you know the nuance and the subtlety quote unquote to dlp was you know you could look for density like how many instances of it appear in a certain moment in one document whatever it might be and i'm going to tell it true and slightly off color story uh, we had, uh, in addition to preventing sensitive data from going out the door, we also had filters in our DLP that managed things like um, uh, data that was against policy, let's call it. And we know, you know, gambling and whatever it might be that's against policy. We had one of our hardware engineers ship a, uh, a bomb, a bill of materials for a new product to the manufacturing guys over across the planet and the DLP filter trapped it and blocked it because it thought it was pornography. Because what holds components together? Screws. And the word screw appeared 15 times in one document. So the DLP trapped it and flagged it. So AI in the context, like, it, it, we, need that, we need that level of thinking to it, I think. Um, all right, let's pivot. So... I recently read a little bit uh, on this subject. Only 32% of data is used by organizations for making business decisions. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. It's really low. You've got all this data, 32% of which is actually actively engaged in the business decision making. And this ties into something I've always said, which is, for us, old data is old data that doesn't matter. For the bad guys, there's no such thing as old data. It's all data, Right. If I hired you 10 years ago and I still have a file with your social security number, but you left the company nine years ago, I don't care about that data anymore. Bad guy still does, right? So 32% is relevant to my current practices as a business, right? And yet there's all this trash data that we don't consider needing to be used by us. And yet the bad guys are still honing in on it and it's a good target for them. So if the validity to the business has expired, right? But the validity to the bad guys is still there. Um, I think that we have to look at the usage of it, and I think we have to balance between sharing of internal and external teams with this data, implementing controls that prevent the access. Like, at what point do we decommission our data and get rid of it? Um, Cecil, let's start with you on this oh, one. Oh, you know, it's, I love this subject because, uh, um, you know, 
if you work for an organization that hoards data, uh, maybe the last 10 companies have worked in the last 30 years. Uh, this is difficult to, I know it's going, it's very difficult to purge data. Um, um, there's very little data, as, as I told you, because we lack the intelligence behind what, is, what the data is for. Most of the time, nine out of 10 times, we, we leave the data. Uh, even though, at least from my, my, my current employer, um, we, we only collect the minimum. We only process what's necessary. Um, we don't collect more than what we need. Uh, unfortunately, remember, a lot of these data privacy principles are probably a few years old. We have data from 20, 30 years ago, and there's a lot of challenge working with data privacy and legal and compliance about do we purge or not. I'll give you an example. Um, 15 years ago, sorry, um, he said my heart rate is very high. I'm, I'm quite nervous. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, uh, f about 15 years ago, I worked for a healthcare company, and we went to the Iron Mountain. And this is like 2008, 2007, and I saw those boxes purged by 2006. Like, it's 2008 already. No one could make a decision. I asked them, hey, we need to start purging. And there's a lot of challenges in when you deal with internal policy. Because some groups say, hey, we still need it. Some said, no, it creates a lot of legal and, and, and financial risk or data privacy risk. We got to purge it. There's so much internal politics involved when you talk about data, even though data privacy can make the call or the data governance or security, but there's a lot more parties involved. Uh, operations is one, sales is one, so, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Gene, what's your take on that one? Oh, I, I see it all the time, and, and we all see it even outside. I mean, think of how we are as people. We hoard everything. There's public storage places all over the place that we're paying. I'm still paying, I'm sure, hundreds of dollars every month to store something that was only worth a nickel to start with, right? And your data is in the same spot, right? You're paying Iron Mountain to store that data that someone in your organization thought they already threw away, yeah. right? But yet you're paying to keep the storage, whether it's physical storage or digital storage, it still costs money somewhere. And being able to kind of find those pieces, well, the, like you said, the legal department yeah. says I have to keep it for seven years because, you know, the regulatory, you know, my auditor says I have to do that. Well, is every single thing in your organization under that same regulation? No, but they're so afraid that no one wants to make a decision. Yeah. Right? And I think, um, you know, so part of it is decision-making. Yeah. Part of it is finding the data. Like you said, you have data from 30 years, yeah. from 30 years ago. How many people know that that copies of that same data, some of it's in Iron Mountain, some of it's in, you know, some digital tape somewhere, yeah. who knows where, right? Oh, and on someone's hard drive. Somewhere. Yeah. Hey, uh, Alan, uh, for full disclosure, uh, when I was in the dark side, I worked with Gene and other members to do uh, a lot of data discovery work and right on. so much data uh, whenever you start doing discovery. I've never seen an internal-only data discovery effort succeed. Uh, you got to bring in outsiders to help. You need somebody with that neutral perspective that can actually come in and challenge the business with, why do we have this? What is this? Um, the drivers to me have always been, interestingly enough, general counsel, especially with email retention. Like, let's just talk just email for now. Like, ignore all the other data, just email. I have worked in shops where general counsel said we absolutely must purge after X 
And I've worked in shops where general counsel said we absolutely can't purge yeah. after X. <laughs> and X was the same value for both cases. It really boils down to, you know, legal commitments and obligations and where they think they need to stand. But then there's the data utility. And this is where we go back to the first question about the data ownership. What if general counsel says purge it? It's too big a liability. We don't need it anymore. You know, but then marketing is like, oh, but we still periodically pull up that old list and blah, 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 blah. And HR steps in and says, well, we do this and this. And you get those mixed departmental perspectives. Like it, you almost need an outsider to come in and orchestrate and, and dictate and, and have those conversations in separate rooms and then present upstairs and say, okay, three of your departments think this is relevant, eight don't. Now for the next set of data, five do, six don't, you know, and, and walk through and start to start to have that transparency and that conversation. To me, it's it's vital. It, it has to happen. I, I don't think internally we can get our handle on it. And and to your point, Iron Mountain, I've, you know, paper storage, digital tapes, like who knows what you've stored in the Iron Mountain, right? Um, so, all right, let's talk about sharing the data let's 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 get back to a perspective of the data we care about and the data that matters but the data is sensitive we've got classification to do we've also got access rules to come up with we've got to come up with a model that says okay sensitive hr data only hr can see this kind of data marketing is allowed to tap but only these portions of it you know you have to get into rules to that level and that granularity when it comes to the access when you're talking about data life cycle so gene i'll start with you what's What's the best way forward for that? Well, that's a kind of a mixed bag question, right? You know, my answer for best way is going to be completely different than Cecil's best way, mm -hmm. right? I think what is very useful is some Cecil, you said something very, you know, about 10 minutes ago around data catalog. It's as IT professionals, it's not my decision to tell the business what is or is not. It's a, Amen. I, I will do my best job to give you some education and if I had a data catalog and I can tell you, hey, this department, this department, this person, this role has access to the data. Here's the kind of data that's inside of it. The legal department says, I, I'm allowed to keep this data for X number of days or years or months, right? Now I can go back to the business and says, hey, here's what I have. Here's how long you're, you have access to it. And you tell me what I can, you know, who do you want me to give it to or not give it to? Right. And I think that is where, as IT folks, it's so difficult sometimes because going to see who has access to the data doesn't actually tell you who is supposed to have access to the data. Um, my secure way, it's you're right. My answer will be different because I usually go and we have a set of uh, recommendations, but you always go back to the customers and our partners. Not all the things that we want is supported by the, you know, by the third party. So uh, it's very difficult because we want the most secure way. They want the easiest way. And the best thing is to work out a model where we could actually be able to do it securely and effectively and easily. And that's a combination of it could be some form of, uh, you know, in the medical, in who's in the healthcare here? We have a format called HL7. You know, there's a lot of different ways of sharing. But again, it's you have to work with the business parts. There's so many ways, but I have my own way. You're right. You have your own mm -hmm. way, but we have to talk to our business partners because every, at least most of my recommendations, they, oh, that's, too, that's too difficult. That's too complex. We don't want to exchange keys we don't want to do all these things uh, we want to do this tomorrow 
the quickest way and what we do is compromise you know sometimes you don't we don't get what we want but we apply compensating controls like logging and encryption and all those other things and you said it best alan you know i think access control is probably the the best way to control access um, yeah i almost feel like you need to start with the data see who's accessing and then meet with that independent audit team and say are these the people that should be accessing, yeah. right? And kind of almost start from there. Like you can, because it's easy to track who's touched it and when. And and back to that retention question, right? Like you'll see sometimes crazy stuff. If you start to log this stuff and really track it over time, like here's this chunk of data that's been sitting here for 10 years. HR, 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 marketing. HR, 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 HR. Like what was that one touch? Why was marketing involved and why just that one time? And, and that drives those questions. But other times it's not as easy to discern because everybody's accessing it and you're not sure if they're supposed to be. So I, I guess my answer for that one, is I'm, I'm with you guys that nobody's got the same approach. I, I've, I've worked with the teams directly to say, hey, why are you guys accessing this data? What are you using it for? Circle up with privacy, circle up with general counsel. You know, like it's, it's a nightmare to walk through your shop and do this. And again, I, I like to lean on outsiders to help come in and do these kinds of audits. But a quick assessment will help, you know. Yeah, definitely agree with that. All right, so business-friendly ways of sharing the data more securely. Once, once we figured out who's supposed to have access, and to your point, Cecil, you said, you know, there's usability and friendliness for them versus the security for me. Yeah. Like you can be at a tension state with the business there. What are some great ways to say he can access, she can access, they're the only two who should access, security's happy, general counsel's happy, privacy's happy, and the two people that need the access have the access, but the others don't. And then those two can share it with each other in some way, but not share it with the other party. Like, like what are some great ways? And Gene, we'll start with you. How do we tackle that one? Yeah, um, I, honestly, within our tool set, I'll, I'll talk a little bit from you know, what we can do. Um, but it just kind of is a good jumping point of all different things, right? Well, giving access doesn't necessarily mean that you need carte blanche, right? What if I um, mask the data? Maybe I'm a developer and I'm and I'm, I'm trying to use your data that's very valuable to you know to write my own application that you've hired me to to write. But I don't need all every patient's you know details, right? If you just gave me asterisk, 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 and, and the last three digits or the last five digits, then that's enough information for me, right? And those, I think, are some of the questions that we should start asking, not just as who has access, but what specifically do you, do you need access to every column, every row, every, every value, or is a general idea of what it is good enough? Is random data, token, you know, tokenized data, is that good enough for you to do your job that you need to do, right. that I've hired you to do? And that's where you, I think, could absolutely um, start securing your data with you know, very little effort. Yeah, there's there's a standard requirement in almost every SDLC that you can't use production data in yeah. dev, right? Like like that's a good example. And we always run scripts that I, you know pseudonym pseudo I hate that word pseudo anonymization pseudonymization however they pronounce it. Um, I always call that whirly gigging. Like as long as you take the real data and jigger it up and mix it up and yeah. blend it enough and. and delete certain fields and mix other fields. Like you've got data you can work with. How viable is that in a production scenario yeah. though, if we're not talking about development, like, like tokenization anonymization, how do we, how do we deal with those things? Oh, it's difficult, especially working with developers. I used to be a developer and I hate to use test data. <laughs> of course, uh, now I'm the, on the other side, I'm forcing all my developers to use, make sure that we don't use live data. But I think, it will take us forever, Alan, to answer this. But I think there's one word is 
uh, the mini the, I would answer is the minimum necessary. Yeah, I think that's the best way to, ha- you know, when we share data, when we have to use data for a lot of things, you have to look at what's the minimum necessary to perform X things. So. All right, final question, and then I think we'll have enough time for a little bit of Q&A with the crowd. Um, so let's keep this one fast. The National Cybersecurity Strategy, uh, Strategic Objective 1.3, talks about holding stewards of consumer data accountable. This is, you know, these new directives coming from on high, uh, and they're looking out for the consumer, which is good. This, this, this should be there. The idea is accountability of data privacy rights through technology as well as legislative support. So, uh, and this will be a flash round here. I'll start with Gene. What roles should security teams play in ensuring the privacy of consumer data? Yeah, uh, I think inherently every single one of us that have, you know, are in the IT security field, we want to be good, the good guys. We want to help. That's just inherent in, in our nature. And I think the role that we all play is helping the business, hey, these are the ways in which we can secure the data, right? And, and you know, whether it's encryption, tokenization, masking, you know, a combination of all of it being able to articulate that back to the business. You and I all, we all know the difference between tokenization and encryption. The rest of the business doesn't, they don't understand. And it's our job, I think fundamentally, to be able to explain this in a business understandable format. So the business can now make better decisions, you know, that truly at the end of the day affect us in IT. I love it. Cecil, what's your question? Uh, For security team, I think it's, I think partnership with everyone's like from not just a data privacy team, but your sales organization to HR, to finance, marketing. I think being able to partner and tell them, hey, here are the guardrails. Because remember, a lot of these, a lot of the times, security is probably the third, fourth, fifth teams to talk to these third parties. And I think being able to develop a, we, we have a program at work, we call it Security Champions Program, because we believe security should not, we're, we're the gatekeeper, but I think the frontline people, the people who work with different organizations, I think they should be the one, you know, we want to empower them to make sure that they know those minimum requirements so we could do X things. 